grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is the Old Testament lesson found recorded in Amos chapter 7 beginning at the 10th verse. This entire section of scripture is actually made up of five visions that Amos received and shared with the people of Israel. And smack dab in the middle of these five visions which really were warnings to Israel, comes this episode. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to endure all his words. This is what Amos says. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go into exile away from its own soil. Then Amaziah said to Amos, You seer, get out of here. Flee to the land of Judah. You may eat food and prophesy there, but you must never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the sanctuary of the king and the national temple. Then Amos responded to Amaziah, I was not a prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet. Rather, I was a sheep breeder and took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending flocks, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and once again, heirs of everlasting life, there is a dirty word that some would prefer never to speak. In fact, some just hate this word, and I know the word hate is a strong word. But some actually like the word and, and are actually passionate about the word and feel that people need to hold to this word. The word that I'm speaking of is actually two words, politically correct. It is not my intention in this sermon to simply list out the pros and cons concerning the word politically correct, which can easily oftentimes lead to just bashing on the government. But I will say this about the word politically correct. Amos, who is a prophet of the Lord, was accused of not being politically correct. But that was not his purpose in his ministry. He was more concerned about being godly correct or another way of putting it, being biblically correct. Amos was a prophet around 750 B.C., 750 years before the birth of Christ. He uh, actually was preaching in the northern kingdom of Israel, but he actually came from the southern kingdom, a small town just east of Bethlehem, not far from Jerusalem, a small town called Tekoa. And Amos... Amos' contemporaries, 
In other words, a fellow prophet of his that was also preaching in the northern kingdom of Israel around the same time was a prophet named Hosea. And we have his writings in the Old Testament. In the southern kingdom, you'll hear of prophets like Micah and Isaiah. Now, I mentioned the two kingdoms. About 250 years before Amos, the kingdom had actually been united. There were not a northern and southern kingdom. They were united under King David. They were united under King Solomon. But it came to King Solomon's son, Rehoboam, when the kingdom split. Rehoboam was going to be a very strict king, and the ten northern tribes were complaining, and he put his foot down with them, and under the leadership of, of, a, of a man called Jeroboam, and this would be Jeroboam the first, the ten tribes, the northern ten tribes, broke away from the southern two tribes. The two tribes, or the ten tribes to the north, would be called Israel or Ephraim. The southern kingdom would become known as Judah. Now Jeroboam actually had lived quite a bit of time in Egypt. But under his leadership, he made some changes that were quite alarming. In fact, just to, to lay it out for you, in the northern kingdom, because of Jeroboam the first, and really ultimately because of Satan, the northern kingdom did not have one faithful king to the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. The southern kingdom, on the other hand, half of their kings were faithful, the other half were not. Jeroboam had a problem. God required that the Israelites, three times a year, were to make a journey down to Jerusalem for special festivals, like the Passover, the Day of Atonement, and even for Pentecost, the spring harvest. Jeremiah did not, or Jeroboam did not want them going down to Jerusalem and leaving the northern kingdom because he, was, he feared that if they did, they may get a feeling of nationalism and leave the northern kingdom. He could lose his rule. So he decided to set up his own festivals and along with it, decided to set up his own centers of worship. There were two of them, one in Bethel, that was on the southern end, and one up in Dan, the most northern end. And at each of these worship centers, he set up altars to worship to golden calves. Sound familiar? Especially when Aaron, the very first high priest, made a golden calf, the Israelites told him to make. Well, that was worshiping one of the false gods, and, and they had quite a few gods in Egypt. So this was their worship center. And Amaziah was actually a priest at one of these centers, which made him a pretty powerful priest, but a false priest and an ungodly priest. Well, after 250 years, there would become another king who would now go by the name of Jeroboam. This is Jeroboam II. 
and during his reign, and he'll reign for 40 years, things are actually looking very prosperous. There's territorial gain. The economy is on the rise. People are seeing more wealth in their pockets. Things were looking great, but spiritually speaking, they were literally dead in the water. Oh, the ungodliness that took place. And keep in mind that wherever you have ungodliness, what's right around the corner, right there, is going to be wickedness, and especially against your fellow man. So Amos, then, is known as a great social reformer. He spoke against oppression against the poor. He spoke against excessive drinking. But the heart of his message was really unbelief. And along with it, a warning. You see, in less than 30 years, the Assyrians are going to come, a world power, and they're going to destroy and beat the northern kingdom. They will also attack the southern kingdom, but God will not let them go into captivity. God will actually stop the Assyrians from ending that nation. But the northern kingdom, the people will be going into captivity. They will be going into exile. And the house of Jeroboam will end. They will be slaughtered. Well, Amaziah, hearing this message, will now have nothing to do with this. He is irate, like he's tattling on Amos, and he tattles on him to Jeroboam the second. He's warning Jeroboam the second that this, that this prophet, and he's prophet of the Lord, is... Is, is, is speaking against you and speaking against the people of Israel. He must stop, which means Amos must have been pretty effective if you want to silence a prophet of the Lord. So Amos writes to Jeroboam, and in his writing says this. This is what Amos says. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go into exile away from its own soil. It is true. Amos did say these words, but not exactly. He didn't speak of Jeroboam dying by the sword, but rather the house of Jeroboam dying by the sword. You can see Amaziah is trying to inflame Jeroboam to kick this prophet out, perhaps maybe even end his life. Before Amaziah will even wait for a reply from the king. He takes it upon himself to tell Amos to leave. He says, you seer, get out of here. Flee to the land of Judah. You may eat food and prophesy there, but you must never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the sanctuary of the king and the national temple. In other words, go make your money someplace else. Seeing that, you're probably only in it for the money. So go eat. Go prophesy. Go down to Judah where you belong. Now one thing I've learned over the years is that when someone is accusing you of something that you have not done, and you know God knows your heart, God knows what you have done, and that's the only peace you have, but people are accusing you of doing something 
that, and, and then the hurt of it, that they would even believe that you would do this thing is extremely painful. You start to question who your real friends are. But you'll also learn that when people accuse you of something you have not done, not only does it hurt, but usually, and more times than not, the thing you're being accused of is what that person is actually doing. So I do not doubt for one minute that Amaziah was in it for the money. He was a false prophet. What is he going to be in it for? To praise his false gods? The very first commandment says, you shall have no other god. And he's having other gods? He clearly has to be in it for himself and for his own stomach and for his own wealth and for his own prestige and honor. And now he accuses Amos of that. These words remind me that as a called minister of the Lord, that being a pastor is really not my job. Being a pastor is really not my career. And nor is being a pastor really my means of income to raise a family. But rather, being a pastor is really my life. See, couldn't you say that of even those who are not pastors? Can't you say that of each and every one of us? Especially keeping in mind that our very Lord God didn't just tell pastors to go make disciples. He called all of us as disciples of Jesus. We are to proclaim his holy name to the ends of the earth, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching people to obey everything he has commanded. It doesn't matter what your job is in this life. It doesn't matter what your career is. It doesn't matter what your means of income is. Your life and the purpose of your life is to know Jesus Christ. The purpose of this life is to certainly grow in the name of Jesus Christ and out of love for him, follow his holy will as laid out in his holy word. And that the purpose of your life is to certainly share that word with others, which includes not only your family, not only your friends, but even your co-workers and the very place where you work. That's your life. And Jeremiah and Amos made this very clear to Amaziah and did so in a very unique way. In fact, he replies with these words, I was not a prophet. In other words, he didn't go to prophet school. He didn't get his PhD in being a prophet. People are not looking up because, you know, if they come over to his house, they see his certificate on the wall, and he's recognized by society as being a prophet. And he says, nor was I a son of a prophet. Because he grew up in a prophet's family, it's automatically assumed that the son is going to carry on and, and continue the work that dad started. He didn't even come from that kind of family. So he can't even claim to be a prophet because he was raised a prophet. 
No, he was a sheep breeder. In other words, a rancher. He was a caretaker of sycamore fig trees. Ooh, a farmer. In fact, being a rancher and a farmer and both at the same time is making it clear to Amaziah he made more money doing that than he'll ever make being a prophet. He's not in it for its wealth. So what is he in it for? But the Lord took me from tending flocks, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. It was the Lord who called him. It was the Lord who blessed him with his talents and abilities. And it was the Lord who took this very common man and really a blue-collar worker and called him to go to the northern kingdom of Israel where, remember, not one faithful king there and to preach. And he says, to preach to my people Israel. It's amazing that the Lord would even use those words and call Israel my people. Because he could have easily rejected them. They're, they're believing in false gods. They have rejected him in unbelief. And their, and their ungodliness has, has led to wickedness against one another. And yet the Lord kept sending one prophet after the next. Kept warning them with one prophet after the next. Because the Lord did not give up on his people who clearly gave up on him. So when the Lord, when, I, when Amos makes it clear that he is to prophesy to my people, Israel, that we have a clear testimony that it is only by God's grace that Amos is serving. And that's undeserved love. That's loving the unlovable. That's an unconditional love and a love that never ends. This is the love that brought Amos and all of us to faith. This is the love that moved our Lord Jesus to leave the glories of heaven and come here on earth, living that perfect life which we could not live, and then offering that life as a sacrifice for our sins that you and I couldn't make. It is by God's grace that we have the invitation that through faith in Jesus we are saved. It is by God's grace that the Holy Spirit even lives and works within our hearts testifying of Christ and calling us to faith and keeping us in that one true faith. It is by God's grace that because Jesus conquered death and rose again that we have the assurance that not only do we have the forgiveness of sins but the hope of everlasting life in heaven. It is by God's grace that each and every one of us have been called to not only know this glorious truth but given the privilege and honor to proclaim it. It is only by God's grace, not because we've earned it and deserved it, but because of God's grace that we have been entrusted to the gospel, which we must not just keep to ourselves. It must be revealed and revealed to all because it is by God's grace that Jesus is the Savior of all. Because Amos' call is divine, that means two things. One is, he answers to the Lord. 
since he's been called from the Lord. And he has not been called to simply just be a pastor to a church and following exactly what the people want and carrying out what the people want since he's getting paid by those people. No, he is to serve the Lord first, not giving people what they want, but giving people what they need, and we all need the glorious truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And that brings me to the second thing, that the divine call of a prophet means. It means that the people are to receive him as a prophet. That the people must always realize that if that prophet and that religious leader is simply giving you his opinion, that you could take it or leave it. But when he is proclaiming God's holy word to you, that is not a take it or leave it proposition. The words that are proclaimed must be taken to heart. Because when there is the faithful preaching of God's word, it is God's word we hold to, and not just the voice of a man. And along with this, we take to heart the words of the Apostle John in his first letter, where he makes it very clear that we are to test the spirits. We are to test all pastors and teachers and prophets to make sure that they come from the Lord. And the test must always be God's word. That's why I cannot emphasize enough for each and every one of us not to just to take the preacher's word for it, but to know that word and to use that word and to take to heart that word and to question every minister on that word. I've even seen classmates that have left the ministry because they have claimed that they cannot stand being a pastor because they feel like they live in a glass house and everyone's watching them. But that's what God has called them to do. If you're going to test the spirit, then you must test what that pastor, teacher, that prophet, that minister, what he's preaching and teaching, and also test it with what he's living. Understanding, you don't just walk the walk, you talk the talk. And when he proclaims God's word, we listen to God's word. We take to heart God's word. Because our entire ministry, my dear friends, is not focused on trying to be politically correct. Our entire ministry is focused on being godly correct really biblically correct. Nothing else matters. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemevlutheran.org.
dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.